Life is not a competition, but it kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> Certainly if you know me at all. The 9 o'clock, sorry, the 9.30 congregation didn't get this right. So I'm hoping that you guys get this right. We have studied a number of minor prophets, Jonah being one of them. Not counting Jonah, because we haven't studied it yet, how many minor prophets has Christchurch studied up to this point? Karen, you're at the 9.30, so I'm not focusing on you. Yes, let's go. Let's see if we've done them all. No, recently we've been kind of doing this sermon series on the minor prophets. So we've done a few since we've been here, but I think you did a few more before me and Hannah and the kids arrived. Three is not correct. Six is not correct. Five, I think, is the answer. Andrew, did you guess it? Well done. Well done. There we go. Right, we're starting another one. We're starting Jonah. So we're going to spend four weeks looking at Jonah. Now, me and the kids, when we wake up in the morning, nice and early, well before all you are awake, we go downstairs, we get them a glass of milk, and we sit down, and we have this kind of um, little part of our bookshelf which has got different children's Bibles in. And I say to the kids, right, Zachary, it's your turn today. Which Bible do you want to choose? He always chooses this yellow one that has six Old Testament stories in it. I reckon you could guess which of those stories is in there. Jonah is one of them. We turn to the contents page and I'm praying that he doesn't choose Jonah. I say, Zachary, which one would you like? He says, Jonah. Every other day, we pretty much read the story of Jonah. His other choice is always the story of Jesus on the cross. Not the resurrection, but Jesus on the cross. I need to work on my discipleship with my children. Anyway, he loves this story. He loves it. He loves the drama. We all love the drama of this story, don't we? This guy who's called from God to do something, and he's like, nah, I'm not going to do that and runs in the opposite direction. Zachary's favourite page of the book is when Jonah is inside the fish. He's sitting there looking really gloomy and there's bits of seaweed dropping on his head from inside the fish's belly. He loves it. He also loves the bit where you see Jonah kind of being projected out from the fish onto dry land. We all may know the story of Jonah in a similar way from kind of kid Bibles, from those Bible stories that we used to hear, said in a relatively simplified way, drawing upon the dramatics of the story. I want to challenge you to read the biblical accounts of Jonah in one go. It's four chapters, 10, 15 minutes it will take you. Because every time I read the biblical account of Jonah rather than just a kid's version of the story, I get something new from it. Something that is beyond the dramatics of the narrative. Something that is kind of beyond the story or that excitement, seeing what Jonah might end up doing. So we're going to spend four weeks studying this book. We are going to delve deeper below 
the narrative of the story to try and really apply this to our lives. But my encouragement to you is, in these next four weeks, read Jonah, the whole book, in one go, numerous times. Really live it out as we study this together. And today, as we start it, a bit of an introduction, we're going to look at this first chapter, but we're going to look at three things in particular. We're going to look at Jonah's identity. So who is Jonah? And then for us, we're going to look at who are we? We're going to look at the direction Jonah takes, and therefore as well, relating it to us. What's the direction that we're taking, both individually and also as a church? And then we're going to look at the outlook Kind of what determines Jonah's choices and therefore what determines our choices. So let's start off by looking at Jonah's identity. Who is Jonah? Who am I? Now, our study of the Minor Prophets, and if you've read any of the other Minor Prophets, you may notice a difference between the account of Jonah and the other stories of the prophets that we read in Scripture. Take Obadiah. We haven't studied him. We should do. It won't take very long. His message is wholly about what he hears God say to him and him delivering that message to the people of Israel. We know next to nothing about the man Obadiah. Take Habakkuk. Similar situation. We know very little about him. What we hear in scripture is the message that God gives to him to deliver to the people of Israel. Take Jonah. We know a lot about the character of Jonah through these four chapters. We hear a little bit about the message that he is to give to Nineveh, but that is not the focus of this book. And it makes me think, therefore, if there's quite a distinct differentiation between the other minor prophets and Jonah, should we spend time focusing on the words that Jonah is going to give to the Ninevites? Or should we focus on the primary focus of the book, which is the man who is Jonah and his character? I think we should do the latter. So we are going to study him. We're going to study him, and as we do so, as we look at his identity, we are going to find out how the man Jonah, with all the good things he does, he does do some good things, or the maybe not-so-great choices he makes, can relate to us. Now, the message is important, and we will look at that a bit next week, probably a bit in the final week as well, but that's not the key thing here. So... Focus, as you read Jonah, focus on his character. Now, he's one of the 12 prophets. What does a prophet mean? In essence, a prophet is a messenger of God. He hears something from the Lord and he speaks it out to people. And prophets are inherently obedient to God. Take Isaiah. Karen, you heard this already, so don't answer. What is Isaiah commanded to do for three years which he does do for three years, which is slightly abnormal. It's all right, Steve, we need to work on our scriptural teaching. It's okay. He walks around naked for three years. God says, you need to walk around naked for three years and delivering this message, and he does so. I wonder if God says that to you today, maybe just question it. 
just as an aside. But this slightly odd request of God, Isaiah does it. Utter obedience. Take Jeremiah, another one of the major prophets. He is commanded to wear this like wooden beam on his back. It's called a yoke as he goes and delivers this message to the people of Israel. It's a heavy burden on his back. Does he do it? Yes. Without question, he does it. Compare that to Jonah. In Deuteronomy, we get told about what a prophet should do. It says this. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not come true, that message is not spoken from the Lord. Okay? So therefore, a prophet is obedient, down to the T, and a prophet's words come true. Slight spoiler alert coming, but skipping ahead to chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah is in Nineveh. And he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. We know the story of Jonah, I'm sure. Does Nineveh get overthrown? No. God redeems Nineveh. Who is Jonah? He is a supposed prophet who is not obedient. And the words that he speaks do not come true. God's Utter intention comes true, of course. He wants the Ninevites to be saved. But the words that Jonah speaks, the, the, sort of, the way that we can determine that he is or is not a prophet does not come true. Great start, eh? Bit of an identity crisis. Jonah may be underway. Right, let's dig into Jonah. This is starting from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Let's pause there for a second. What would we hope would be the next verse? God speaks to Jonah. What would we hope the next verse is? And Jonah went. Yeah? Prophets are obedient. What does Jonah do? But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a boat bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to flee from the Lord. Obedience to the prophet? No. We know that the words that he is called to say to Nineveh don't come true because God's ultimate redemption plan comes true. So he fails in that area as well. He's not having a great start. His life as a prophet, and what we kind of know what a prophet should be and what they should do, does not match the authenticity of his calling. Now, let's flick to us. Does our lives match our authenticity about who we are, who our identity is? I just want to read some scriptures over you because this is who our identity is in. John 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. 1 Peter 2. 
You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and each of us has a part to play. Ephesians 2.20. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. That is our identity. That is scripture speaking directly to us about who we are. Who we are in God. We are God's children. We are his special possession. We are a chosen people. We are his handiwork. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's a pretty good identity to be able to stand rooted in and proclaim that you are, I am, God's children. Yet, our lived answer to these questions that I will say now determines that authenticity of the identity we claim to be. Do you know deeply in your heart that you are God's children? That you are ultimately loved by him? As Jonah was. Do we know that we have been chosen? That we are God's special possession? And do we know that we are part of the body of Christ? That we are God's handiwork? That is our identity. And we've got a choice. We follow Jonah, the prophet who should be so secure in his identity as an obedient prophet whose words come true. Or we follow the reverse example And we say, yes, God, my identity is rooted in you. And the life that I'm living is authentic to your calling of me being rooted as your children, your special possession, your handiwork. Do we have an identity crisis like Jonah? Or are we secure in our identity? Next then, Jonah goes on a journey. Direction. Where is Jonah going? Where am I going? Now, how does Jonah know the direction that he should go in? He hears very clearly from God where he should go. And it was a challenge, most definitely. But he heard the word word of the Lord. And did he go in that direction? Let's just compare him to other biblical characters. Let's take Mary. The angel Gabriel comes to her, a messenger of God, and says, you are to give birth to my son, God's son. And what does she do? She says yes. This, so we believe, teenage girl says yes to this incredible calling on her life. We then hear of Joseph, who is engaged to be married to her, but she is now pregnant, and that's a taboo 
in that culture at that time. And Joseph, yes, with a bit of persuasion, from hearing from God, says, yes, I will go and marry Mary. There is that immediate response of, yes, Lord, I am your servant. I will go on the journey that you are taking me on. So, one would assume Jonah's calling and response would be immediate. Yes, I will go. Now, let's be a little bit sympathetic to Jonah, however. Only a little bit. Nineveh. That is the capital city of Assyria, the greatest nation within Old Testament times. They are known for brutality, oppression. They are the greatest enemy of Israel and Judah. Now, Jonah is being asked to go to the people who have tortured and persecuted his own people and offer them God's hand of repentance. Just think about that. Think about a family or a person or a situation which has done you such wrong, that's done you such harm. Would you go up to that bully in the school and playground and offer them God's hand of repentance? I mean, if we're all honest, we can sympathise with Jonah, can't we? This is a big ask. It is a scary ask. Direction, Jonah, go to these awful people and offer them my hand of forgiveness. Jonah, no, thank you. I will go in the opposite direction. He is reluctant. He is reluctant in his mission that God has called him to as a prophet. Let's think about ourselves. I wonder if you know the direction that God has called you to. The journey that God wants to take you on. Am I? Are you being obedient to whatever that looks like? Are we being reluctant, like Jonah? Are we running away, like Jonah? Or are we being obedient, like Mary and Joseph, to the call on our lives? Now, you may say to me, well, I don't think that the Lord has revealed to me whatever that journey is, whatever that direction might be. Well, are you listening to him? God speaks. God spoke to Steve just a moment ago so clearly. God can speak to each and every one of us so clearly right now. God is not a distant, far-off God somewhere in the clouds. He is right here amongst us by his Holy Spirit. If you haven't heard the call of God upon your life, are you listening? Because the authenticity of our lives is reflected in the direction in which we are going. Okay, let's move on to outlook the response that Jonah has. And we know that he runs away. Now, Jonah, being a prophet, will have known scripture. It had known this psalm. This is Psalm 139. And it says, Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Jonah, why are you even attempting to flee? Tarsish is two and a half thousand miles away from where Jonah currently is when he hears God's call. He goes down to Joppa, which is like modern day Jordan, and he has to travel to Spain. Obviously not via a motorboat. It takes, the journey takes one whole year to make. I mean, that's some serious fleeing, isn't it? So he's thinking to himself, where can I go from your spirit a a year away? Two and a half thousand miles away. Maybe that will get me away from your spirit, God. Jonah, how mistaken you are. But it's funny, because this is the point at which I sympathise with Jonah the most. And I have such love for him as one of our minor prophets. He's fleeing, even though he knows he can't flee from him. He's guts on this boat, even though he knows God is in the depths and in the heavens as far east as west. Why? Because of Jonah's steadfast belief in God's mercy. Jonah has such belief in God that he knows that when he goes to Nineveh, that God will redeem this nation, which he truly hates and has persecuted his own people. He knows that the God's hand of mercy will be offered to them. God's steadfast love will be given to them. And he just doesn't want that. So ironically, his belief in God is so great is the reason why he flees. We sympathise with him, don't we? We have a love for him. And this is where we question and have this tension between our own vocation, our calling, and our personal preference. Jonah doesn't want the Ninevites to be saved, which is why he runs. What is the vocation that we have had? What is that calling that we have had where then our personal preferences on the other side simply just outweigh what that is? I first felt called to um, ordain ministry at 17. I didn't get ordained until I was 29. Open admission. It's quite a few years that, isn't it? Ask me about the reasons at any point, I will tell you. Some of them are justified, some of them, I was just a bit scared. We all do this. We all run in the opposite direction to which the Lord calls us to. But our lived response to the outlook that we have with God determines the authenticity of the life that we live as children of God following his calling. 
Finally, the chase is on. We get to God's redemption plan. Jonah goes up to this boat. They sail off. The storms rage. Jonah's asleep in the boat. The sailors are chucking off all their cargo. This is one year's worth of livelihood. They have to take this cargo from one side of the sea to the other. They're chucking all their livelihood away. They're chucking money out of the boats to try and stay stable so they don't capsize. They go down to Jonah and they say, look, we've called on our gods. Call on your gods. And Jonah's like, nah, he'll see me. I don't want to pray. If only Jonah would repent at that moment, my belief is that the storm would have stopped. He doesn't talk to God. Not only that, he then says to the sailors, oh, you'll have to chuck me overboard. Not, oh, I'll jump in. You'll have to chuck me. If you want this to stop, you chuck me over. I'm so cowardice that I won't do that myself. And they, they try not to. These Gentile sailors who don't believe in God tried their best not to do what Jonah requests. Eventually, they do chuck him in. We hear of how Jonah is saved. But if you notice, the first words of praise to God in the book of Jonah is from the sailors. This reluctant missionary, in fact, somehow, on his fleeing, his running away, turns people to God. Isn't God's redemption just mind-blowingly amazing? And we hear that he is fleed, uh, he is saved from his flee. God refuses to abandon our prophets. He makes a way for him to be saved. He makes a way for him to have that time where the seaweed's dripping on his head just to reflect. God calls him back to his original calling. He calls this reluctant missionary who has tried everything in his own personal power to flee from the mission, the calling that God has given upon his life. God makes a second way. This is the same for us. God is a God of second chances. Whatever our direction has been, whatever our calling, whatever our outlook has been, even if we haven't followed it, God will have still worked through it. But today is the day of second chances. A day where God can redeem what we are maybe being disobedient over. Can I invite the band up, please? Just take a moment where you are, close your eyes if that's helpful. Just, just listen to these few questions. It all starts by us knowing our identity. Jonah has this identity crisis. Do you know deep in your heart those promises of scripture that I read to us before, that we are God's children, that we are loved by him, that we are his chosen people, his special possession, that God has created us. Do you know that deep in your heart? Because if you don't know that, the calling, the direction of our lives, the outlook of our lives is seemingly irrelevant. 
do you know the rootedness of which you could stand in? If you do, take a moment to think, are you being obedient to what God is calling you to? Or, like Jonah, are you fleeing from that? Well, our outlook could be redeemed because God is a God of second chances. Don't be a reluctant missionary. Be a responsive missionary called to action, called to proclaim the word that God gives to us in Scripture to this town of 95,000 people. That is this church's calling. That is our calling. Are we being obedient to that? Are you being obedient in whatever specific way God is calling you to? Why don't we stand? Because we're going to worship, we're going to respond. Let's not simply be a reluctant worshipper. Let's be a responsive worshipper. Lord, I thank you that you have challenged us today. You have shown us that our identity can be rooted in you. Lord, may you direct us so clearly. May we hear from you what that might be. And Lord, we repent if we have not yet taken up that call upon our lives. Lord, change our outlook so it is fully focused on you. Amen.